0: I want to welcome my my fellow salvadoreño and countryman, Felix Hernandez. I'm actually really excited for this podcast, to be honest with you, because I know there's a lot of salvadoreños in D.C. and Mary Center in general, but for some reason, and I, and I know this is, this is how it is with most Latinos or, or Hispanics, like, you know, we're pretty, we're a close-knit community, but I'm really excited to, like... I don't know. Just get to know another a fellow Salvadoran and talk, like, hear your story compared to like my story, and I don't know, It's always cool to hear, you know, how we got to where we got. I
1: totally relate. Yeah, I totally relate.
0: We could be cousins. <laughs> you never know.
1: Hey, hey.
0: <laughs> but yeah, as you know, I heard, I think you know. First question in all my podcasts: How do you, Felix, take your coffee?
1: I, I wasn't a coffee drinker before COVID. Not like, weekly, oh. not, not like daily, rather. Um, uh-huh. It used to be maybe like every now and again, I would enjoy a cup of coffee, pan con café. Um, yeah, cafecito. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, but it, in COVID, it was like, well, let me, let me experiment. And I tried cold brew. And uh-huh. I started brewing my own uh, cold brew at home. over over covid and just recently as of like a couple of weeks ago i'll share that there's um this like coffee roastery that the the owners Mm -hmm. from el salvador that i source coffee from and they have options from like all over Central america Mm -hmm. and i bought some coffee beans from el salvador that i specifically got for the purpose of getting hot coffee so i've been mm-hmm. brewing hot coffee from the motherland over the last couple of weeks and it's been really cool <laughs> it's been really cool it's been a long time since i could differentiate between strong and weak coffee it's more like a ritual <laughs> now like it's yeah like, it's like a, i i wake up get the coffee going it whether cold brew or hot it's been hot lately but like i get yeah. it going and it's it it's actually like almost like self-care. Like yeah. it has yeah, yeah. nothing to do with waking me up and everything to do with this is like just for me. Like I remember sitting through chemistry and thinking like what do I do with this? And it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't hit me till like I got to coffee and baking that like there is absolutely a rationale for chemistry that applies to everything. And so my appreciation for coffee and also baking has also has stemmed from like my newfound interest in how chemistry works but i'm no chemist just that i really appreciate the science of chemistry
0: yeah, sure. yeah yeah well you know as you probably heard from my podcast with dr Elliot, he was a chemistry teacher so you guys could nerd out yeah. on that sometime
1: <laughs> I, it's it's always wild to me how um Somehow, like folks will go on their journey, and then, like when I was listening to Dr. Elliot's podcast, anyway, it was just like you were a teacher, and then you went to med school. Like, how does how does one make that transformation? Yeah, it is
0: wild. It's interesting the journeys people take to get to where they're going, which I guess is a good segue to your journey. And and you know, with with my first two podcasts with Juliana and and Dr. Elliot, you know, I've known them for quite a bit and. And although you've been at Mary Center for a few years and, and we've worked together, especially the last couple of years, we worked together quite a bit, you and I, on idea work. I actually don't know too much about your journey that brought you to Mary Center. Or, or, but how did you get, like, well, first, so we talked about at the beginning, you're Salvadoran. Were you born in the US or were you born in El Salvador?
1: I was born in Houston. Houston, Texas. Okay. Yes. Yes. First Houston generation. Texas. Um. Yeah. Yeah. My um parents, both of them, are from El Salvador. Okay. Yeah. And.
0: Uh, Do you know much about what brought them here? Their story, all that, any of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some of some of it was definitely the Civil War. Um. Not a lot of and and, and it, It's kind of like, I didn't really understand that it was a civil war that influenced all of their migration Mm -hmm. um, until I was taking Spanish language classes in college. Like it, Mm -hmm. it, like I hear some things about it, but like it didn't click. It didn't really, it wasn't a a subject people talked about. So I just knew that um, my story sounded like my family came here for better opportunities and not necessarily because, Of civil
0: war, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's you're right. It's not really talked about a whole heck of a lot here in the United States. And I think you know part of it is because, and a lot of people don't really know this, but the United States was actually anti, the quote unquote rebels, right during the Civil War. The Civil War in El Salvador was brutal. I and I was only six or seven when I left, but I remember distinctly being asleep in my room and being dragged out of my bed because bombs were going off around the corner from our house and people, you know, being killed and shot in the streets. It was pretty brutal. And what, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but as I understood it, it was a power struggle between the very wealthy and and, and the working yeah. class. Yeah. And of course that meant, that very simplistically meant that it was democracy versus communists to some right mm-hmm. and the united states was always on the side of anti communists right and so they were they the us government which i think at the time was reagan was supporting and supplying the salvadorian Training. established yeah. government right to fight against the quote unquote rebels who just wanted representation and a fair chance so yeah, it was it was it's, it's crazy that that a lot of people don't know like the full backstory of it all, um, or the catalyst. I still don't know exactly how it started, but uh, I yeah, I'm sure I have no doubt your parents left for Houston or uh, or the U.S. for better opportunities, but also to get out of a really bad situation. I know that's what my parents were like. We got we have got to get out of here, and they brought us here. So did they end up in Houston first? Is that their was that their first stop?
1: Um my my parents actually met in Houston and Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was like they both ended up in the same spot, met each other, boom, I arrived. <laughs> um but like what happened I think for my family specifically, um there was already family members up here. Like mm. sp- specifically in Houston, um my dad had a, bu- a bunch of his siblings um in Houston or in like the region between Houston and Austin and so did my mother and it i mean if dc has a hub for el salvador right so does houston so does cali which is yeah, uh, nice to me too yeah. but is some all this information i kind of like I pieced together as I grew. And I, under, right. and I started to do more um, learning around the El Salvadorian uh, experience.
0: Yeah. You know, have you ever heard that joke? You, what's the biggest city in El Salvador? You ever heard that joke? No. Well, the biggest city in El Salvador is Washington, D.C.
1: Whoa, no way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's always the yeah. joke my parents used to tell. There's a lot of us here, man. I don't know how we ended up here, but here, here we are.
1: It's it's actually something that I've been stumbling like uh, information, stumbling across Mm -hmm. information that um, people were saying that there was a great migration to Washington D.C. because of the Civil War, but then uh, like there's um, some recent connections that I've uh, made where there's some like scholars from Central America who've done some researcher on the subject of like the migration that happened specifically for el salvador and i i don't know any more than the fact that el salvadorians were making their way to dc from like the early 1900s like like at the beginning of the century of yeah that moment um and specifically there's like a um writer slash um artist that studied is it Corcoran?
0: Corcoran? At the Corcoran Gallery?
1: Yeah, he studied there, Salarue. Um, uh uh-huh. He studied in D.C. All right, so Salvador Salazar Arrue, better known mm-hmm. as Salarue, um, born in 1889, um, passed away in 1975, but he studied in Corcoran, and he went back to El Salvador to... Um, do, like, journalist work. Uh, he wrote mm-hmm. Cuentos de Barro, which mm-hmm. I just bought recently because I've been trying to get more connected to the literature from El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, man, this... I've i have been kind of, like, exposing myself to more um, writers and artists from El Salvador to kind of have more understanding of, like, what happened.
0: Before. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I'm actually really... Um, I feel a tug in my heart to do the same because prior to arriving to Mary Center, I kind of was distant. Well, I was definitely a lot more distant than I am now from my culture and my people. But that's why I feel like I found myself all over again at Mary Center because we're so close to our communities and the community in DC is, is pretty heavy. Salvador, you know, So we're, I would love to hear more about, shoot, maybe we should start a Salvadorian book club and like, and really get, you know, let's get into it. Let's find out more about our culture and, and this guy, this author, maybe he was the father of Salvadorian migration to DC.
1: (laughs) I think this is like, I just get real nerdy about the writers that have been influencing me over the last 10 years. And honestly, to, to the point that you're making about the book club I'm totally down, man. Totally down. I've been doing so much reading over the last, truly, the last couple of weeks. I'm I'm trying to pick up like information from those that were here before us, and see right. and piece together and push into the future.
0: It's all part of our quill, right? It's all yeah. part of our story as well. And my my pull is like I, I feel this strong like I'm not a big reader. I in fact I don't like to read. Uh, I read when I have to. Because I have to. But the tug that I feel to get closer to my roots is overwhelming at times. So I'd be totally down to do a book club. And whoever's listening, if you're Salvadoran or if you want to learn more about Salvadorian culture, let us know. We'll start a book club.
1: <laughs> yeah. We... I'm down.
0: <laughs> you're... You were born in Houston. When did you make it up this way? Or why did you make it up this way? Was it for school or were you, did you grow up in this area?
1: I did. So um, born in Houston, I was there till I was like 12. And then my parents were like, ah, it's not working. So my mom's came to D.C. Um, be- actually, I, I don't know if it was for any other reason other than like she knew who would become my stepdad um okay they're no longer he's they're no longer together not my stepdad anymore but he was a real cool guy um yeah so been up here since i was 12 and it was actually like i credit dc to be a place of like a breath of fresh air it might have been like during the most tumultuous time up here too because fresh into like 12 and 13 I was
0: yeah it's middle school Mm -hmm. that's a tough that's a tough time of life for a kid
1: yeah and and like I don't know if you remember what like during that time out here we had the sniper oh that was then yeah
0: Yeah, no I remember that vividly because I was an adult
1: (laughs) yeah I was in middle school and so I I just remember just Sitting through what it was like to be in D.C. and like feeling something's a little different, obviously, from Houston, yeah. but yeah. It, it was a breath of fresh air because it, it really exposed me to so much like culture and diversity in a way that I don't think I'd, I would have gotten so quickly in Houston. The time that I spent in, in around DC, like first it was around Alexandria. And then I moved to PG County, close to mm-hmm. um southeast DC. Mm-hmm. So I was like around Oxon Hill, Fort Washington. Maybe. Oh yeah. 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 And it was just cool being around a bunch of um different folks who would be willing to invite me to their house and share their food with me and we would do the same it just felt like more welcoming in 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 a really interesting way.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Uh so you started in Alexandria and then moved and then kind of grew up or finished yeah. school in in Maryland yeah. including <laughs> University of Maryland Baltimore County, Golden Retrievers.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was actually um during that time I had uh so, I went to PGCC. I, I started at community college and then I went to yeah. the four year institution. Um, but I ended up working a lot in Baltimore. So, like, I, it, it's like the first half, the first third of my life, I was in Houston. Then, from like the second half, or the, the second third of my life, I was in PG County, the DMV area. And like mm-hmm. the third, Right. I'm in my 30, I'm 32, about to turn 33 mm-hmm. in May. Um, mm-hmm. I've been in Baltimore a lot. So I feel like I have, I've learned from each of these places. Um, yeah. About this Are you time. in Baltimore now? Yeah. Okay.
0: I didn't realize you lived in Baltimore. Yeah. That's a long, that's when, when we had to be in the office. That was, that's a long drive.
1: I only did it because of COVID though. So. Oh, you
0: moved during COVID?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's good. Yeah, it was good. just, it was comfier to be honest. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you had if i remember correctly your degrees in art in the arts, right? Are you you had an art degree?
1: It's it's considered an art degree, but it's Spanish literature and writing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Because i saw one of your first jobs well you were a Spanish teacher for a while, mm. right? In Alexander City Public Schools. And then you taught, you were a teaching artist of performing arts at the Smithsonian Institution?
1: Yeah, I I, I was was like an actor for theater for young audiences for that that chunk of time. So I I, I was doing theater. We're going to need you to expand on that. (laughs) I I had gotten into theater like my last semester at UMBC. And it was like, Mm. let me just go audition. And that's pretty much what how I got into any any and all roles that I've been able to get into. I just went to audition after like my one class at UMBC, and it was a really fun time doing theater. Um, <laughs> but also, like I I had uh, been really interested in writing too after that, and so like between my time doing um, theater in baltimore i had to move back to uh dc area and that kind of like interrupted some of the flow that i already had developed in baltimore and i had to situate myself differently and so like before i got to the smithsonian i had um worked on an organic farm at the akekeeck foundation oh yeah. yeah yeah i was working at an organic farm that also served to be like a a historic preservation site for what it was like in the 1700s so mm-hmm. i was doing like uh time travel theater type of situations for kids doing their field trips at the oh. akiki foundation yeah yeah so i was cool <laughs> yeah it's been it's been a fun ride doing this stuff man it's it's been pretty cool um,
0: so what museums did you work at for the smithsonian or is it all of them
1: when we would take our um like seasonal plays to elementary schools around D.C.
0: Oh, you would travel to the schools.
1: Yeah. And we also set up um, for PG County. We were playing at a, a theater off of or close to 295. I forget where uh-huh. it's at. But we would have some like uh, some shows for PG County as well that we would do at a theater um, at, a, at a theater that they could access easily.
0: So you were like a legit, like, a traveling company theater artist, like actor.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, what? <laughs> how did how did you end up at Mary Center? I, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, okay. So, I was teaching, and I I really did enjoy teaching. Um, but somebody I knew from my extended network were. They were like, hey, like, a home visiting program in Mary Center is hiring. And they sent, uh, they sent me, like, the job description. I was like, actually, this, this seems, one, flexible to accommodate my desire to get back into acting. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for the flexibility. Um, being a teacher, sure, you have, like, 10 weeks of vacation, mm-hmm. which is great. But, like, when you're teaching... You have to dedicate so much time and energy outside of the classroom at home to excel to you know support um, adequate learning mm-hmm. in that environment and so it, it didn't feel like i had time to audition or do any of the stuff that i'm used to doing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um like the rehearsals take time and it's like typically it's a lot of work to prepare for a show, but right, all this right. to say, like I didn't have the time that i was that I really was looking for, and so I felt like there's a sense of flexibility, there's also like it's still focused on supporting the community, which was really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I applied, and luckily I, I got the gig and and mm-hmm. once I got hired, I was also pretty transparent about like um, I'm looking for a certain sense of flexibility, and so I was able to. Uh, set myself up so I could fo- do the job well, but also make sure I could create the time I needed to audition and rehearse throughout that entire time.
0: So are you still acting? Uh,
1: it it shifted it shifted when i when I started to want to move away so like if, a couple years ago, I was getting ready to move to Probably New York or LA, I was gonna pursue it pretty heavy. Oh um, wow. Yeah. But what happened was that like it also started to feel a little like I don't I don't feel comfortable living other people's truths. Because like, auditioning in D C it was it was cool, it was exciting. Some works were really um thought provoking. Mm-hmm. But it also felt like it wasn't aligned with who I was or it, like it wasn't it wasn't the space that I felt I was thriving best in and so like it it also like ushered this opportunity for me to figure out what stories would I generate what story would come out of me mm-hmm. and so I got into like some writing workshops um once I once I finished once I put down theater for a moment to try and figure out what comes up and what do i want to say in in the roles that i take on and what kind of storyteller am i trying to be was like the better question like that's what i started to ask myself so i took some writing workshops where i was hoping to develop that kind of voice and figure out what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to communicate and i think i've been i've been more focused on not trying to live other people's truths and trying to figure out how I contribute better to what's here and to who I am. And that's why I kind of put that away. Mm-hmm. Not saying like theater is over for me. I think that there's always going to be um, a joy that I get to have in uh, acting. And the great part about theater is that anybody can audition for the right role. You, you just got to find right. the role that fits who you are. And, um, now I'm interested in. I guess we talked about it earlier. Like, where am I coming from? Who? Who? Where are my peoples? So, it, so you've
0: you've gone from being a teacher to an artist or an actor to what would you call yourself now? What's Felix today?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because. I think right now what I'm I'm like f- what I've always been and I and and I continue to be as a student. And mm. I can say I'm a student right sure. now. Yes, yes. So student would be like the best word right now.
0: So you started with the home visiting program, mm-hmm. and now you oversee the father child program. That's the that's the actual name of it, right? Father child program.
1: The father child attachment program. Yes. Attachment.
0: Okay. So I you know in my role obviously I oversee HR the people department so like I I see all these titles I see all these names I see all these roles but like what like tell me what does your what do you do for the community and this is really like I've I this is part of the reason I wanted to like talk to you is because I I'm I'm a father of four and I, I'm, I'm divorced and and now remarried, but I couldn't imagine a life where I am not a present and engaged father. So being a father to me is first and foremost, my number one priority. And frankly, the thing that I would say that I'm probably one of the only things I would say I'm really, really good at, like I'm all right at other stuff, Uh, being a husband, you know, being an HR guy, but I want to be the best father I can possibly be. Like that is of the utmost importance to me. So like what you're doing for dads, what I think you're doing for dads is super important to me. And I, could you just explain a little bit more in depth
1: what it is that you actually do for our dads? Sure. Sure. Um, so the father child attachment team, is focused on supporting dads um, in navigating parenthood and navigating relationships um, and in trying to do that in a healthy way. And also, to, of course, right, the basics. Make sure that mm-hmm. folks are housed, right, that they are able to uh, attain their needs and meet their needs and go beyond the base, right? We want mm-hmm. them to thrive. We want dads and families to um, coexist in a healthy harmonious environment and it's as as also like a person aware that fatherhood exists as a as an addition or has existed as an addition to supports that focus on um, the health and well-being of mothers and infants, which mm-hmm. is important work um, I, I think that communal well-being, familial well-being also has to address the root. And so it's not an explicit, right, ask from our grant funders to have conversations about healthy masculinity or toxic masculinity or um, patriarchy and the negative effects patriarchy has on the world and society. Um, but it is a part of the conversations that I engage um my team in Mm -hmm. and and that i hope we are prepared to have with our dads and just Mm -hmm. probing the the question like hey like what do your relationships feel like do you feel like they give you good energy do you feel like that you contribute to them in a way that is sustainable do you feel like you feel heard are you hearing the other person when you engage in dialogue Those kinds of questions are what we're hoping to get to once the dad is stable, once the dad is insured. And um, of course we try to develop conversations about like awareness for development, what happens for for a baby between the prenatal through like age five. We want dads to be informed about what's going on throughout the developmental stages of a child, but like further, we want to, foster their interests and try to connect them to their families in ways that I um, think are truly transformational. Like, I, like in, I'm not a dad yet. But being a teacher and also doing theater for young audiences, it gave me a perspective that, like, how we show up for the kids in our life, right? Mm-hmm. I'm an uncle, and I'll tell you, as an uncle, bro, this is the best. I get, I get to, like, pour my love into um, the direction of my niblings, my siblings' children, my nibblings. And Is that a word? Yeah. It's, a, it's not necessarily, like, an official formal word. I picked it up from a podcast myself, to be honest. Um, somebody said that they were giving love to their nibblings. Um, she was the auntie. And I was like, I love that word. Oh,
0: I love that word. It's so much better than nieces and nephews. <laughs>
1: Yeah, nibblings. I love Um, it. (laughs) So I was, uh, being an uncle, like, I've been able to see my sister and my brother grow as parents. And I just want to, you know, be the kind of family member that is working on fostering healthy connections, healthy parenting styles. Like, I think it's just, it's, it's, I think, really life-affirming, sustaining work of like supporting folks and transforming to be more critical, intentional parents.
0: You know, being a father is so much of my identity that I I, like, I don't care too much about birthdays. I don't care too much about like Christmas or other holidays, but I like father's day is really important to me. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that weird?
1: It's, I wouldn't say it's weird at all. I, I, I think it's, i i can, i know I know how important fathering is, and like when somebody also understands that and if they're a father, like it's obvious that someone would emerge and say what you're saying right now it's mm. it, it's not a shocker to me I, I, like the advocacy that we've been doing alongside uh well, alongside the participants of our program is what's kept us alive. Like I, I, my program wouldn't be here if not for the successful testimonies that they delivered um, to DC council in the last two years. And so like, thank you to the parents who continue to testify with us. Um, but like this this work has been emerging also to counter counter that, um, that reality that a lot of programs typically only focus on mothers and children like explicitly Um, and that has been changing that has been changing over the course of the last five years since i've definitely entered into the program in fact like in when i first entered into the program the conversations about fatherhood were already robust so Mm -hmm. um, i really thank all the folks that have been engaging in this work um in dc and you know nationally and and i think like part of part of the critique that i have of patriarchy and masculinity i think is that when we look you know and i i I used to have this as a presentation like photo like when you look at all the cartoons about dads they're all jokes like right homer simpson right you got so many bumbling funny character characterized dads that i just it, it it and so I, the, the critique is that I think men in some capacity have also contributed. Society, not just men, right? I think that this mm-hmm. has been a collective effort for folks to think that fathers have little to contribute when it comes to raising their children. When in mm-hmm. fact, that when fathers, are, when fathers are involved, like it's a totally different upbringing for a child. I think men struggle in asking for support. And I think that fathering is such a difficult, difficult task Yep. that, it, that we get in our own way. We, we don't know how to ask for help sometimes as men. And I think that that's also a part of the reason why we aren't so willing to reach out. But I think it's, it's because of programs like ours that we get to be a connection. We get to be... Um, Uh, a conversationalist with the dad to figure out like Mm, what works mm. for them how do they want to show up um, that can get them to try different strategies or try different things that connect them a bit better a bit more specific to their child it's a privilege being able to you know collaborate with some of the dads that walk into our program um, and watch them begin to grapple with the question what faces does my child make when i speak to them i really sit with that question. oh my god yeah and and like <laughs> it, it's an invitation to reflect in in a, in a really specific role and to right you know, to figure out like how do i want to show up in that space who am i in right. that space
0: yeah Well, you guys are doing incredible work. The mission of your team is near and dear to my heart, so keep up the good work. Really proud of what you guys are doing.
1: Thank you. you.
0: When was the last time you went to El Salvador? And do you plan on going anytime soon?
1: I definitely plan on going soon. Um, I haven't been since I was, like, two. Oh, my God. Yeah. You haven't been since? Oh, so you... You really haven't been in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's it it's, it's a struggle because I've been wanting to go back. It's it's it, it's definitely changed in the last 5 plus years. Um but even like besides COVID, it was always like it was always like a risk. You can't mm-hmm. go by yourself. You and so now I'm trying yeah, to right, go public back.
0: transportation
1: right right i I am definitely trying to go back because i mean not only because of what i've been reading um in the last two in the last year for sure i've been doing like specific studies on the mesoamerican sites the pyramid Mm. sites Mm -hmm. in uh ranging from like Ula, to just, I've just been trying to get more informed of what's the history down there. So Do we I have really
0: pyramids in El Salvador.
1: Oh yeah, really? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, Holy hell!
0: See, there's so there's so much I don't know. I mean, I you know, last time I went was in eighth grade, and now with being told that it's so dangerous, and my hope is that someday my kids will see my. Homeland mm. and uh, that I can take them to where I was born, where I grew up, and see their people. Their, you know, it's I try to instill in, in, in them their Salvadorianness, if that's a word. <clears throat> <laughs> and that they should be proud of of what our people have the capability of becoming in this country.
1: I also, I, I want to share that our history, um, it, it is, a, there's a lot of work to resurface it, but I will share, like, if it, you want to know the source of, of masa of like, like the masa for, um, tortillas, for tortillas? and, tamales right, and right. everything. Yeah, yeah. So the way that we accidentally stumbled upon, Making corn more accessible to our diet is because of an explosion that happened in El Salvador—a controlled explosion, an intentional explosion. It exploded what was what was limestone, and the heat created lime. And folks somehow figured out that if you add lime to maize, you break the maize down when you cook it and boil it so much so that. You make the nutrients more accessible to the human body, and also eliminate like a particular protein that makes it um, that that makes corn without the nixtamalization process a bit harmful to human consumption. So, like the source, Uh, the source of tortillas and tamales stemmed from this explosion that happened in El Salvador. Like it's our folks in this region made made all of this rich like culinary thing happen.
0: Yeah, they created the most perfect vessel to a protein I've ever experienced in my life, which is a tortilla and it was a random chemistry experiment basically is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I found this information in the last year and I was just like blown away, blown away.
0: So here and now, here and now we are settling the argument who created tortillas? It was Salvadoranos.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it, it, I think I think the part that like blew me the most away though is the fact that our our like in, the indigenous ancestors in El Salvador, in what is now known as El Salvador, mm-hmm. were having controlled explosions. Right. <laughs> so they were just like, all right, boom, we have tortillas.
0: Alright, the 10 questions for the, uh, that I always close with, as you know, because you've heard of the other podcast, so as a reminder, you know, person that comes to mind, just fire away, rapid fire questions, alright? Alright. Alright, what's your favorite word? Waffle. Do you also enjoy eating, do you like waffles as well? Is that like your favorite breakfast?
1: Uh, it's not that I like, it's, I do like waffles, don't get me wrong but waffle I think is a unique word where if you say it out loud it doesn't match the way it looks like when you read it and once like you don't have to say it more than 2 or 3 times for it to start to become like you know what am i saying waffle all
0: right what was the last concert you attended
1: last concert i attended was it toki monster
0: is it bad that um is maybe maybe it's because I'm old. I'm not that old, by the way. I'm turning forty this year. But who? What is that? What is that? What is Turkey Turkey Monster? What is that?
1: Toki Monster is um, an American record producer. Um, he's Korean American, I think, um, from mm-hmm. LA. Who's done work with Anderson Park from Silk Sonic? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I love Silk Sonic because you know people tell me all the time I look like Bruno.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see that.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. What actor would you want to play you in a movie?
1: I have a deep respect for Esai Morales.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If, for, for those who don't know, Esai Morales was uh, Richie's brother, Bob, from La Bamba. And if you yes. haven't seen La Bamba, I highly recommend it.
0: It's a classic.
1: It is a classic. It is absolutely a classic.
0: All right. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: meal oh man um i'm torn between uh, acai bowls and tacos (laughs) 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 all right what
0: profession other than your own would you most like to attempt and don't say actor because you've already been there Mm. so other than acting and what you're doing now what would you like to attempt
1: Something that's, uh, you know, I gotta go back to my roots. Um, an astronaut. An astronaut. All
0: right. Well, what job would you be terrible at?
1: Hmm. I, just, I. don't. I don't. I don't think there's one. Oh, actually, yeah. I don't think there is one.
0: Really? You're that confident in your ability to adapt and yes. learn that yes. you would be good at any job? Yes. <laughs> there's no job where you'd be like no chance not doing it
1: i mean i i don't want to i don't i don't want to be a lawyer <laughs> <to> be <laughs> honest. I, like But I, well, you
0: could be good at it, being a lawyer is what you're saying yeah <laughs> all,
1: right.
0: all right that makes sense no i'll take that i'll allow i will allow what job would you hate versus terrible at that's a fair point all right if you could fly if you could hop on a plane tonight and go anywhere where would you go El Salvador. Ah, good answer. Yeah. What sound or noise do you love?
1: What sound or noise? The wind rustling in the trees.
0: What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, that's... Um... Alarms. Alarms.
1: Alarms? Like, Like... the, like cop sirens, super loud and oh, continuous. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. hate that.
0: <laughs> All right. And finally, where is your happy place?
1: Outside. <laughs> Any Anywhere outside. Um, anywhere outside. And especially close to water. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: All right, Felix. Man, it has been a long time coming and a pleasure to chit chat with you. And I feel like we could talk for a few more hours, but it's been an absolute pleasure, man. And maybe there'll be a part two sometime after we start our book club.
1: Hey, I look forward to it. Um, and it was a pleasure, man. Truly. Like, I, I also enjoyed being able to uh, connect with another fellow Salvadoreno um, and another um, person who understands the importance of fatherhood. And so, like, that was, that was a, a welcome conversation. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Felix. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to another episode of Café con Carlos. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Felix as much as I did, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Until then, take good care of each other.